Hey friends, welcome to our digital space. On This Girl Life, we're trying to figure life out. And there's no better way to do that than with your best friend by your side. So join us each week as we bring on experts to help us navigate This Girl Life. All right, here are your hosts, Whitney and Kristen. Guess who's back? Back again. Back again. <laughs> I wish you were shady. It's Whitney, Kristen, and we're back. <laughs> Tell up, friend. <laughs> we're back. <sighs> Not RIP Eminem, but like I miss the Eminem of the 03s, you know, like 2002, 3, 4. Yeah. Yep. Classic. He was so good. YouTube that if you're too young, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. We are here. It's another Tuesday. TGL Tuesday. TGL quarantine Tuesday. We're back. We're Same back. thing. Yeah. It's Groundhog Day again, guys. I know. Um, but guess what's happening tomorrow? <gasps> Don't. Well, guess what happened on oh. Saturday? Because we're recording guys. early. Yeah. Okay. Guys. We record early. Okay. So this Saturday, it passed. Yeah. Um, we're doing our gender reveal. Woo! So I guess when this airs, we'll already know. So give me your guess. I think it's a girl. I think you're the only person besides my father that thinks it's a girl. Papa, trip, and I coming in strong. Yeah. A lot of people think it's a boy. So I don't yeah, know why. You're to give us those numbers, the poll numbers. So I will. It was like 76%. It was a ton Holy of people cow. that voted. Yeah. I think Kale goes, did you give your opinion? I said, yeah, I think I said I thought it was a boy. And he's like, that's why you skewed it. <laughs> I was like, I guess I did. I skewed it. Can't skew me, Kale. Can't yeah. skew me. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I was telling Whitney before we got on, she's either giving the baby in my tummy a best friend or a husband. So either works in my favor. Yeah. You know? Super true. It's going to be great. <laughs> Guys, then we'll be... How would we be related? Mother-in-law? We would be in-laws. We'd be in-laws. Right? Oh, my God. Could you imagine? That would be the you best. You would be my daughter's mother-in-law. Oh. <laughs> and I would be your son's. Yeah. Guys, we're, we're, we're plotting. We're already plotting. Don't we're, don't lie. You do it, too. Okay? We know you do. All right. Um, can we also talk about what you talked to me about the other day? Because I think everyone is going to agree with this. Whitney. If I have to watch one more, and I'm going to swear because this is how f***ing heated I am. If I have to watch one more 30-year-old woman dance to a TikTok video on my Instagram. Like, hi, if I wanted to watch your shitty savage girl dance on TikTok, I would download the app. But I don't have the app, and I don't want to watch it on Insta Stories. So when I do, I mute you, and you're yeah. gone from my life on Instagram forever. It's getting really old. It's like, honestly, TikTok is like TikTok, not Instagram. Yeah. I don't understand. I don't either. I know. I'm so over it. I will say there's been a couple funny ones, but it's like people totally. who are funny, not right. dancing. I don't know. Like, I don't want to watch this random girl who like is a mom and this is not her thing do a TikTok dance and why are they and I don't have TikTok so I don't know anything about them but why are they all the same dance like why is every influencer doing the savage dance or the like I, okay I'm so old I don't even know what the savage dance is like it's I'm, this one song that I swear 
everyone's doing. Because I don't even I care. It like, I don't I'm at a point, Kay, where like I don't care if I'm not cool. Like I'm so Same. 33 and I'm like, I don't care. I'm not mm-hmm. a Gen Z. I'm a millennial and I'm like, um, yep. I guess we're just not cool anymore. So, Which is fine by me. Right? If TikTok makes me cool, <laughs> I volunteer not to be cool. Seriously. I know. And honestly, I think quarantine ruined it. It ruined it. Yeah. Like it was on a, it had a good vibe. And then, and then quarantine is just too much. And you know so. what else quarantine has ruined? Um, working out at home videos. Okay. Yeah. I, we didn't want this. This is not supposed to be like negative. We're really positive people, but let's just talk about this. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, we're at, this is week six of quarantine. So by this point I'm like, I have seen your same pure bar workout oh, you're talking for about the last influencers doing it. Yes. Okay. So it's not like, yeah, that's not, I don't care if you work out at home. Obviously I want you to stay home, stay safe, but like get healthy. I don't need to see the same pure bar thing every single morning in your living room. Yeah. I know what I you're don't. talking about. Yeah. I, I don't want to see it. Thank you. No. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> These are the things I don't want to see on the Instagram. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's it's I'm definitely What was that? I'm sweating. That got me heated. Honestly, Kristen, I'm pregnant. I'm always sweating. <laughs> so bad. Okay. Um, thank you for coming, yeah, to that. We are um really trying to be positive. Uh, we are, but it's just I had I laughed so hard when you talked to me about that the other day. And then and now it's bothered me too. So we had to well, talk about it on what- here. I love in quarantine. <laughs> what? Tell me. So I sent Whitney a video last night with this girl trying to wax her upper lip. <laughs> We're going to post this if you have not seen this. Molly, I think her name was, if you're out there, we want you to be our friend. I want you to teach more tutorials on how to do at-home waxing to your hair. <laughs> it, you guys, I snorted five yeah. times at least. Like it was that, that funny. It was so good. So that's the kind of shit I want to see in quarantine. I want yeah. to see you waxing your upper lip. <laughs> I want to see it. <laughs> I don't want to see you working out. Do weird shit. And I want to see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I want to hear your commentary while you do it and just be funny because that's what I want to see. That's what I want to hear. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, let's get into Yay and Nay with Wit and K. It's Yay and Nay with Wit and K. Oh, shit. Even though I kind of feel like we just did Yay and Nay. <laughs> truly. <laughs> Um, okay, I kind of thought it would be really fun to at some point do like a different type of um, yay and nay. I was listening to Pandora with my kid having a dance party, and there was that song, I'm gonna butcher it. It's like, mm, she's sweet, but she's psycho. Okay, sweet but psycho. I thought that would be, I've had so many hormonal sweet but psycho days, like moments. I thought that would be really fun sometime. Deal. And that's a great song. It is a good song. Yeah. Anywho, so maybe later down the road, guys, we're going to do that. Deal. Um, okay, so yay and nay. So what, do you have a yay or would you like me to go? I would like you to go. Okay. Um, I like when I ask you that and then I'm not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I know you asked like you had already had something prepped. I know. Well, I didn't. Guys, we're just trying to keep it real 101 over here. I know. Um, okay. Well, I can do this. I can do this. Yes, um, can. Okay. I got it. Mocktail time. Okay. If you're pregnant, ready for your mocktail. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mocktail is 
I don't know how to say it. Pam, Pam, LaCroix. What's the grapefruit? Yeah. Um, that with lots of crushed ice and then it's the whole can. And then you take some lemonade. I like organic, this like organic lemonade. You pour that in, mix it up. You can do some lemon, whatever, make it feel like a cocktail. I'm telling you, tastes just like a cocktail. My mocktail. It's pretty easy. Yeah. I've been drinking them like crazy because I miss liquor. Same. I know. I really miss wine. I know. It sucks when you're watching TV and someone's drinking wine and you're literally like just zoning in on the glass. You're like, I wonder what red that is. Is that a Pinot Noir? (laughs) Cab? I know. Yeah. Anyway. We're so close. We're so close. We're so close. I know. That's true. Yeah. I Okay. My yay is going to be pregnancy related. I am one week today on Tuesday when you hear this away from my third trimester. Get it. Girl, that is a huge yay. Yeah. Yes. We're almost there. She's so close. I'm 12 weeks away. 13. One of my favorite things about Kristen is she told me after she delivered, because I wasn't there, they they freaking popped champagne, her parents and in-laws, and she drank champagne. In the labor and delivery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that. We didn't even wait until we got to mom baby. I'm doing Mm -hmm. that. Like, I'm requesting. My dad will be all about it. He'd be like, I got you, girl. So when my father-in-law showed up to labor and delivery, he brought a cooler with the champagne in the cooler, set it in the labor and delivery room the whole time. So I saw it there my whole time. And I was like, that's, that's what we're getting. Or your in-laws. Seriously. They're very cool. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I have pictures. I'll post them. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm happy for you. You're almost there. We're getting there. All right. Let's do, um, nay, even though we were kind of negative about TikTok. So we can do some nays. Um, If I was braver, I would show you the picture that I sent my friend Cody last night, but I am not enjoying the anti, the, the anti-maintenance part of quarantine. Okay. Like there's a reason I get eyelashes. There's a reason I color my brows in. There's a reason I color my eye, my hair, and there's a reason I get fake nails. <laughs> and maybe I'll put a little filter on the picture I took and post it on Instagram, yes. but it's terrible. Well, don't post on Instagram, but I want to see it. Also, you know, those, like there's this girl I love on Instagram, but she was like, Hey, like twice a week, don't put any hot tools on your hair. And I want to be like, do you know what my hair looks like when it air dries? Like, it is so big and frizzy and gross. Do you know how blonde I am? Like, I have no brows. I have no eyelashes. It's true. My nails are falling off. My pet's heads are falling. Like, guys, I miss uh, the high maintenance part of life. I know. It really does show how high maintenance we are. I totally, took, 100%. I took my hair extensions out. I just, I told Kristen, <laughs> I ripped those bad boys out. I'm trying to rip my eyelashes off without ripping out my eyelashes. Um, I'm trying, literally, I'm there with like my little brush with like oil on it, but then oil got my eye and I was blinded. <laughs> so I have one eyelash left and I cannot get it gone. One, it will not go away. Bastard just hanging on. <laughs> um, okay. I, just, I miss it. I hate I hate low maintenance, Kristen. It's terrible. It's terrifying. I don't even know who she is. Who are you? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So mine is very revealing, my nay. Okay. So my husband came just down a minute ago. He's working upstairs. And he said, Blakely came up and my child came upstairs. And he's like, what smells? And he's like, sniffs around. And he lifts her armpit. And she, he's like, you stink. And she's like, she's like, 
So I smell like mom. <laughs> Blakely, just throwing you under. She's not wrong. Guys, <laughs> I smell like pregnancy hormones, not even. Like, I need to get Botox. I did Botox under my arms. I just, anyone who knows me knows, like, I'm a sweaty human being. <laughs> Okay, it's like a problem in high school. Kristen's face right now. I mean, this is the truth, okay? And it probably has to do with my hormones and all my stuff that's wrong with me. No deodorant will fix this, okay? And then you go anti. Then you go all, like, clean with no aluminum, and then you're totally screwed. Oh, I I do, Kristen. Oh, no. You're like the girl walking around in, like, junior high that didn't know she had BO yet. Yeah. Yeah. And was like, but I wear Bath and Body Works spray. And we're like, no, that makes it worse. That vanilla bean <laughs> covers it. No, honey, it doesn't. Girl, you need to get some aluminum and shove it up there and clean. Yeah. stinkify. Okay. I can't shove aluminum. I can't do it. I'm on the search to help. But honestly, I have, I'm sweating now. Look, I'm dripping. <laughs> like, I need to do an armpit detox ASAP. Uh. <laughs> Just smell my hand. It's Ew. not good. It's not good. Ew. Guys, this is glamorous. <laughs> okay, whatever. Everyone relates. Everyone yeah. relates. So if you don't have stinky armpits once in your life, you're not human. hundred percent. Everyone has stinky armpits. Except you know who never really is stinky? This is this probably goes for a lot of these this gender. My husband. He will literally come home from running 12 miles in 80 degrees and he does not smell and I'm like he's literally drenched his entire shirt is soaking wet and I'm like I walked up the stairs and I smell worse than you what well you like he doesn't smell like outdoor man yeah he does but it's like not like that pinching bo smell yeah like it's like yeah you sweat and it and maybe that's because it's like I'm attracted to him and there's pheromones and all that crap but I'm like, you're not like that really stinky where it like burns your nose smell. Like me. Yeah. Yeah. I, my husband is. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to say that, but. No, no. It's <laughs> guys. Um, <laughs> I can't even. We, my husband's the same way though. He'll come out, he'll come in from being outdoors and smell like the outdoors. I'm like, ooh. But yeah, same thing. He doesn't smell. I don't know. It right. has to be my hormones. I'm going to blame it all on my hormones, but I need to get this fixed. Yeah. Somehow. We'll blame it on the hormones. Yeah. Okay, guys. Thank you for listening to just the shit show that is Whitney and Kristen. Um, we have someone who is not a shit show on the podcast today. She's amazing. Her name is Angie, guys. She is a certified health coach, nutritional therapy consultant. She has leads coaching programs. She got she's written, she's an author of an award-winning book called The Alternative Autoimmune Cookbook. She's the co-author of the Autoimmune Wellness Handbook. She is a co-host of her own podcast, the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast. She's the creator of all these amazing protocols. Guys, she is so incredible. She talks to us about the autoimmune protocol, diagnosed how she was diagnosed with three autoimmune diseases and is in remission, I would like to assume. Yeah, I think I believe so through using and this protocol. Through using the protocol. And she just, guys, breaks it all down. And yeah. she's just another amazing host in a series of, of awesome hosts that we've had on just talking about wellness. And we're just 
we're being our own health advocates, peeps. Yeah. We hope you enjoy it. If, if you're interested in uh, anything autoimmune related or just, you know, health, this is good. So enjoy. <laughs> Kristen's already laughing. That was awful. I'm awful, you guys. This is good. <laughs> enjoy the episode, guys. Angie, welcome to This Girl Life. We're so excited to have you on today. We want to dive in because as most of us are dealing, we are all about six weeks into quarantine, five to six weeks, depending on where you are. And you have, you know, your family at home, a daughter at home. How are you doing? Especially because you do have an autoimmune condition and that makes you higher risk. How are you doing with everything COVID-19? Um, well, uh, as far as my home life goes, um, I, yeah, I have a 19 year old daughter. We also, um, have our 17 year old niece who lives with us. And we did have, um, a friend of our daughters who's been a really close friend for the last three years also living with us. So we basically have five adults, three of them that are young adults living in our house right now. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Oh my goodness. Um, I need my own quarantine away from teenagers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, all things considered, I mean, I, everybody's healthy and well and doing their very best to cope with a situation that especially for young adults is so disappointing right now, you guys. I mean, can you imagine when you were 19, if this had happened? I spent every waking moment with my friends. <laughs> Absolutely. It would have been, been really hard. So considering what they're dealing with, everybody's being really, really cool. Good. So, yeah. yeah. How has it changed any like health? Have you because I have an autoimmune, I have Hashimoto's, so I've been like really careful, um, not even going to the store or anything. So have you been like hyper vigilant? Yeah. So you guys mentioned about our higher risk and what I've tried to do is really carefully educate myself about, you know, where we fall in terms of higher risk as folks with autoimmune disease. I have three autoimmune diseases. I have celiac disease, lichen sclerosis and endometriosis. And, um, it kind of seems like the jury's still out. There is definitely uh, groups of researchers who are trying to focus on what the risk factors are for people with autoimmune disease, if we are just by nature already at higher risk, or if we're actually a little bit at lower risk because our immune systems are not actually under-functioning, they over-function. Mm. So maybe, maybe they're like on our side attacking <laughs> all the baddies, you know? Um, and then, you know, it's like some, it, it is true that um, folks with autoimmune conditions that affect the heart or the lungs, or if you have like type one diabetes, um, and they're kind of uncertain about some of the immune modulating medications, whether or not that might put you at higher risk. So yeah, I just keep trying to stay on top of it. I watched a webinar from the American Autoimmune and Related Diseases Association a couple of weeks ago, and then um I'm really lucky to have a lot of friends in the medical community, both conventional and alternative. And so I've paid attention to what they're all learning. And um, so from that perspective, I'm taking all the same steps that I was taking to guard my health before. And honestly, I think that those things have put me in a better position, you Definitely. know? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But give us a kind of background and kind of a snapshot of what your issue was, how you found it, and what your biggest struggle was when you were looking for that initial diagnosis. 
Yeah. You know, my very first diagnosis was with lichen sclerosis, which is a skin condition. Um, And honestly, really shockingly, I got my diagnosis really pretty quickly and pretty easily for that disease, Um, which I'm sure um, anybody with autoimmune disease will be like, wow, that's amazing because usually it takes forever. You have to like see a million doctors. You have to like argue with all of them about whether or not you're just a crazy lady or if something's actually wrong. Um, So that was kind of unusual. And back in those days, um, we didn't really use doctor internet quite as much. I actually looked my symptoms up in a medical encyclopedia. Nice. (laughs) And then I went and saw saw the OB-GYN who delivered my daughter. And I was like, I think this might be happening. And so he did an exam and he was like, yeah, you're right. This is the disease you have. Well, he didn't tell me. And that was like crucial information is that it was an autoimmune disease. And sometimes if you have one autoimmune disease, you can be at risk for developing more. Um, and so I didn't really know that information or understand it. And then, um, not very long after that, I developed the first symptoms of celiac disease, but I didn't know that that's what I was dealing with. It took 11 more years before I got my celiac diagnosis. And by that point I was very, very ill. I was really, really malnourished from how damaged my, um, small intestine had become. And it was, Nobody was arguing whether or not I was ill. They were just trying to figure out what was wrong, you know. Um, wow. I was in pretty bad shape. And endometriosis was kind of similar, you know. Usually those symptoms kind of ramp up um, as you start menstruation and, you know, go into your adult life. And it was really clear even in my teens that something was wrong, but it still took a long time. It was 15 years until I was yeah. diagnosed with endometriosis. Yeah, well, we definitely we talk about being our own health advocate. The last couple episodes, we've been talking about that. And it's definitely what you did. And it's what I had to do. Same thing. Like, I I had no clue I had Hashimoto's. And you just have to continually educate yourself, fight for, you know, what you think and talk to your doctors, and maybe switch doctors. So (laughs) What, obviously you had three conditions, obviously, and over like a time period, but what were, what were some of the things that were offered to you? Like what help or options did they give you anything after you were diagnosed? You know, um, with LS, with the lichen sclerosis, you know, he basically said like, use this steroid cream and don't call me later. <laughs> you know, like, good luck. <laughs> You know, like, good luck with this. Hope it goes well, you know. Um, And I was so young with that diagnosis. I was in my early 20s. And I, you know, I was a single mom with a new baby. Like, I just kind of like blundered my way along with that. I didn't really know what I needed to be doing to advocate for myself. Um, By the time I got my endometriosis diagnosis, I was really realizing what um, a proactive process was going to have to look like to advocate for myself. Um. When I had my first endometriosis has to be diagnosed with a surgery. Unfortunately, they have not yet developed a diagnosis technique that allows them to figure it out without surgery. So after my first surgery, they said, well, you know, you should go on continuous birth control um, to try to control it. And I did that. I wish I had not done that, but I did it at the time um, thinking that I was taking the right steps. Um, And it took a few more surgeries before I finally, you know, got that in a better place along with all my dietary and lifestyle changes. The really big diagnosis that really changed everything though was the celiac diagnosis. I'm sure that actually that was probably the underlier for me even before everything else Uh, kind of went undetected. And 
you know, what they did was typical. You know, they said, go on a gluten-free diet and then, you know, you'll be fine. But gluten-free was not a big enough step for me. I mean, I was just in such a debilitated state. I definitely needed something much more serious and much more nutrient dense than just a simple gluten-free diet. I mean, I could be eating like kind bars and be on a gluten-free diet, but if you only eat a kind bar, <laughs> you're not going to heal. <laughs> right. Right. Totally. You know? so, and that's, yeah. Good yeah, point. So yeah, it took, it took a lot more steps than that. So, so let's talk about kind of the after the diagnosis, mm-hmm. let's talk about the general healing timeline we're looking at. So a lot of our listeners are sitting there and they're like, oh my gosh, yes, I relate to one of these three, four autoimmune diseases that I'm hearing on this podcast. So what can people be expecting as they start this healing process or as they start you know, transitioning into celiac diet and lifestyle? What does that look like? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, um, we're all kind of bio individual and there can be a lot of factors, you know, and I, I do think it's really important to, um, think about how long you've been ill, um, and what kind of damage may or may not have occurred in that time, um, to give yourself a little bit of a realistic framework, um, and how serious you're going to be about like the nutrient inputs and how serious you're going to be about some of the lifestyle modifications that you might need to make to really support the healing process. Um, you know, it, when you're talking about autoimmune disease, there's some regulation of the immune system that needs to happen. And our immune systems are like nutrient hogs, you know, they need a lot of input to, to do that work. And then if you think, okay, not only are you trying to like modulate that, but you're also trying to heal damage, you need even more serious nutrient density. So, um, I think if you're a celiac who got diagnosed relatively quickly after symptom onset. And especially if you're young, um, you know, your healing timeline with just a simple gluten-free diet might be pretty fast. You know, you might feel noticeably different within weeks and, you know, feel like totally healed within a few months. Um, for me, like I said, just the simple gluten-free diet was not enough. I didn't really notice any changes. I got diagnosed in February. I immediately started a gluten-free diet by May. I knew it wasn't going to be enough. I knew it wouldn't cut it. And I had started doing research and I learned about the autoimmune protocol and I started the autoimmune protocol. That was remarkable. In six weeks, my antibodies dropped by half. In six months, it was like I had a new body. <laughs> wow. It was like um, I could really literally see the changes happening. For instance, I had fat, the, the fat layer under my skin had started to atrophy above my breasts and in my hips. I had these big dents um, and all of that had started to correct, you know, a lot of mental and emotional health struggles that I was having that we often don't realize are related to nutrients. You know, we need vitamins and minerals to make all that stuff by our right too. All of that stuff changed almost immediately. By a year, it changed every aspect of my life, including my career. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. So that is what my healing timeline was like. <laughs> Give us a quick definition of API diet. Is it possible to do a quick definition? Like, what yes, is it? <laughs> the autoimmune, yes. The autoimmune protocol, AIP, 
I have a perfect little piece for you guys that totally explains it. It's a science-based elimination and reintroduction diet and lifestyle protocol, and it focuses on repairing the gut health, balancing hormones, and regulating the immune system. The dietary component um, removes food-driven sources of inflammation and restores nutrient density, and the lifestyle component includes approaches to sleep, stress management, movement, and connection with humans and nature to help best manage autoimmune disease. Honestly, it's an inflammation is a huge like under liar like and and what's crazy is taking it back to right now with covid inflammation is I mean that's Mm -hmm. what this is all about right so Mm -hmm. here we are with I mean I would love to do a study like this is so extreme you guys but you know like people (laughs) on the AIP diet their inflammation how many people who are strict people doing that maybe got covid or just what they're, if they did, what did they look like? You know, because when you struggle yeah. with inflammation in the body, you're just more at risk for for anything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, when it comes to a novel virus that no, none of us on the planet, that our bodies have never come into contact with, of course, there's nothing we can do that's going to make us bu- bulletproof and have the defense for that, right? But if we have a baseline that's in a really good position, we have more of a fighting chance, right? And especially if you have a diet that is extremely anti-inflammatory, you know, this really gives you um, a leg up. Um, and that's one reason when you asked at the beginning whether or not I was really, really concerned about my risk. Now, of course, I don't hope to get sick and I am trying to be cautious and careful, but I feel like my baseline is just in a different place than many Americans, even those without autoimmune disease are living incredibly inflammatory diet and lifestyle, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, our last guest we actually had on was a doctor talking about covid Mm-hmm. And he had mentioned, you know, what we're trying to do with COVID and the medicine that we're using is mm-hmm. something to attack the inflammatory side of it and then something to attack the other side. So it's just so interesting how these really do coincide and how yep. a lot of people don't even know what that means Yeah, and don't even know what living an inflammatory lifestyle means, you know, yeah. or what you're ingesting is creating that. So give us like the top five things that you would remove to improve kind of on not having that type of lifestyle. Yeah. That would help move you in that direction. Yeah. That would help anti-inflame the body. And by the way, people can visibly see this. I mean, they can see the anti-inflammatory impact, you know, less puffy faces, less puffy hands and feet, less puffy middle sections, you know, things like that. Um, Redness in your skin, you know, people often have really inflamed red skin. All of those kinds of things are underlying indicators of of inflammation. But um, so I would definitely start with if you're just like an average person out there, not necessarily autoimmune disease, I would definitely start with sugar. Um, I don't think that you have to be no sugar. I think that that's a recipe for living a really miserable life. Um, But being really low sugar and trying to choose sugars that have some kind of redeeming nutritive qualities, you know, like honey and maple syrup, they have some actually nutritive qualities that can be beneficial, you know, think about um, fruit, stuff like that. So low, much lower sugar. From there, I would remove gluten. Um, You know, Whitney said a minute ago that she's not celiac, but she removes gluten anyways. Anybody with autoimmune disease should remove gluten because we all have in common that we have a malfunction in the immune system and 80% of that immune system is on the other side of your gut. 
and gluten is not friendly to the, keeping that gut nice and tight and sealed. So um, removing gluten, probably a really big one. And then um, if I had to pick a number three, I'd probably pick uh, dairy. I think a lot of folks, um, obvious for obvious reasons, who doesn't love cheese, are really addicted to dairy, but it is very inflammatory food, really common sensitivity for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. All three, 100%, I, I agree with. I just, it's so hard for people where, especially in the U.S., people are so attached to food um, mm-hmm. and, and so attached to just the, the way we live. Maybe it's because they don't think that things can be really tasty and good without those, but it's not true. You can still have some of the best stuff I've ever had in my life was like yeah. <laughs> gluten-free and dairy-free. So yeah. it's it's definitely doable. So maybe, again, take a quick second and tell us a little bit, like break down what an auto, the autoimmune protocol pa- pantry would look like. What are some of your like things in your pantry? Well, I mean, when you really come down to it, uh, uh, people get really intimidated by how much is initially eliminated on the autoimmune protocol. A really important thing about the autoimmune protocol is that you do go through a pretty restrictive and intensive elimination period. But that period is meant to last about 30 to 90 days, depending on your needs for healing, how much anti-inflaming you need to do, how much nutrient deficiency you need to correct. And then you go through a reintroduction process where you start, you know, systematically bringing foods back into your diet and figuring out which foods are really great for you as an individual and what foods just don't seem to support your, your baseline health. So when you're in the elimination phase, really what you have is, um, a really whole foods diet, very little processed food is there, lots of veggies, lots of fruit. Um, and then, um, great quality sources of animal protein. It's a myth that it's a, you know, super meat heavy diet. We're not over here, like, you know, eating like cavemen or something like giant, like, I don't know, Tyrannosaurus Rex steaks or something. It's not (laughs) like that at all. I, you know, you eat adequate protein to help with energy and, and blood sugar balance and the nutrients that only come out of animal proteins. And, um, so yeah, the things that you see in my pantry are like butternut squashes, onions, uh, sweet potatoes, uh, maybe some cassava flour if I want to do a little like, you know, AIP friendly baking, um, really great quality um, sources of fat, like olive oil and coconut oil from good sources. Um, and then yeah, my freezer is really full of really high quality grass-fed pastured meat from my local farmer you know that's nice (laughs) yeah (laughs) so someone who's looking to transition or wanting to start the AIP what would be your biggest tip for them um I think my number one tip would be um that they should probably lean towards favoring a slow and steady approach to transitioning into the diet. I think a lot of people want to believe that they are capable of cold turkey habit changes. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that whether that's diet or anything else, people really want to think that they can like, you know, yeah. <laughs> drop it on a dime and start over with their new amazing rainbows and unicorns lifestyle. But it's, it is hard. It's a really big challenge. You know, the 
up till COVID-19, the way our society functions is not necessarily super friendly to needing to cook a lot of your foods at home and prepare them from, you know, a whole basis uh, rather than out of a box or something. Um, And so you have to kind of make this big change that doesn't even really fit into our society. Um, And that takes a lot. And I think, you know, we also have our full lives, you know, you have to take into consideration what does your what does your work life look like and what kind of balance will you have for this level of self-care where you're, you know, really creating awesome nutrient-dense food for yourself? Do you have little ones running around? Do you have teenagers who are going to complain every minute? <laughs> right. You know, like what's your budget like in terms of kind of focusing your resources onto really high quality food? It's, it's of course, taking a little bit of time to slowly work your way into it makes sense. And there's also like a psychological aspect of the foods that you have to give up temporarily, mm-hmm. you know, some people need time to process that. Definitely. Almost like a, yeah, a grieving process. And when you take your time and you're slow, I feel like you're more likely to stick with it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that, Wendy. That's (laughs) such an important point. As a health coach, I think I drum away at this one all the time. That slow process of slowly transitioning and adopting each aspect of the diet and lifestyle that goes, goes into the AIP protocol, you, you, are much more likely to be sustainable long enough to see great results if you don't cold turkey it. Cold turkey, it, you know, that's great. Three weeks later, you burned out and you didn't learn anything. You didn't really move the needle on your health. You feel like you're a failure. You know, sustainability is key. I know when my husband and I first started paleo, we had to because yeah. we were law school students who, you know, pretty much ate out every night of the week and just because we didn't have time. And then we were like, let's lose weight before we get married. And we went cold Turkey for 10 days and almost died. Like we almost killed each other. Like, I think it was the biggest fight we've ever had in 10 years of being together. And we were like, we got to slow this down. Let's cut out cheese this week. Let's cut out booze, which like as a law student, I hate to say like, we enjoyed yeah. that a little too much, you know, like and I would say like six weeks in, we were comfortable and we've been, my husband is very strict on it. I'm pregnant. So I give myself a little more grace, but like yeah. we've been strict on it now for almost five years, you know, and living that way. And it's, it's, it does take that time. But I think you're right. Our culture is like, you either do it now or you're never going to do it. Like throw away everything in your pantry today. And it's like, wait, wait, my coffee creamer that I've been having for 10 years, you just want me to throw it away and never look back. Like, Yes. There is a grieving process to this and it is a, it's a big transition for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what I usually say to my um, group health coaching members is like, it was the tortoise and not the hare who won the race. You know, like we think we have to be the first person to the finish line, but that, uh, that actually doesn't matter when you're talking about your health and wellness. That doesn't actually matter if you're trying to adopt a whole new way of living to support that baseline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taking it slow, getting it right. That's what's worth it. (laughs) Definitely. It will pay off in the end. Um, So you kind of touched on one of the biggest myths and misconceptions with um, AIP, but with like the meat situation. But what's what's one other thing that people – because diets can really get, you know, diet protocol – it can get a bad rap, you know? So what's a myth Mm -hmm. you hear often? Um, let's see, what's another myth that I hear often, you know, um, I think that this is, this is kind of a touchy subject, ladies. So get it. <laughs> I think that there are some folks out in the health and wellness space that feel that, uh, 
AIP can cause an eating disorder. Yeah. I and, was going to ask you about this. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you really learn um, about disorder, disordered eating or eating disorders, you know, specific diagno- diagnosable disorders, you really realize that there's a lot of underlying factors that folks who are at risk for that are probably dealing with. And any dietary template could be potentially triggering for them. It's not actually the food on their plate or the things they are or aren't including in their diet. It is those underlying factors that really puts them at risk there. Um, And I think too, um, a lot of folks with autoimmune disease can tend towards a more type A perfectionist way of living and being and have those kinds of personalities. And I think that those kinds of personalities then can be at risk for things like this and that kind of pursuit of perfection. And so do I think it's possible that there are people struggling with disordered eating or definable eating disorders within our community? Sure. And I definitely want those folks to get the right kind of support. And if I know it ahead of time, I would never recommend that they start with such a restrictive elimination template that we use. Um, I definitely want to be sensitive to that. But I do not believe that AIP causes the eating disorder to begin with. Yes. I, as someone who struggled in the past with an eating disorder, I 100% agree. There's always underlying. You can't blame a a diet or protocol, like something like that. There's always a reason just because they're on that you know, it's easy. Mm -hmm. We like to blame when you're struggling in that moment, you're going to find anything to like, ah, to blame for the problem. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I, I actually just wondered just because you said restrictive earlier. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if Mm -hmm. that's a big misconception that that they get a lot. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it comes up, I would say probably, you know, I've been doing this for eight years now. I would say it comes up in the community every year. Or so it's like a perennial topic that we have to try to deal with again and again. And, you know, I mean, um, I'm very compassionate and empathetic to that reality. And we do everything we can um, at our site and with our, you know, media to, to encourage people to identify these things early, get professional help, um, early, you know, and, and we don't say, Oh, Oh, just jump in and try it anyway. We would never, we would never encourage such a thing. But, um, yeah, I think that that's another, another big myth that comes up pretty often for us. Yeah. So give us your best resource besides your own podcast and your own cookbook and your own things, which we'll definitely get into in a little bit. What is one, your number one resource that you would give our listeners who are wanting to start the API diet or anything like that? Um, You know, I would say one of my favorite resources is obviously the paleo mom, Dr. Sarah Ballantyne. Um, The autoimmune protocol as it stands today is really largely the result of all of her research. She's a biomedical uh, physics researcher. She's (laughs) had a long and very amazing uh, education and and experience in that area. So she really was able to dive into the research and really clearly define how the protocol stands today. Um, And she, her her website is obviously just super amazing in terms of all the research and citation that's there. Um, and she's, gr- she's very skilled at communicating really 
deeply scientific information in a way that's easy to take in. Um, and then she's also got her books. I mean, the paleo approach is, uh, the first book that ever came out about the autoimmune protocol and it remains one of the best. I mean, there's like 2000 citations in that book. I mean, she really went through the research. She's extremely thorough. Um, so I, you know, we're good friends with Sarah. I love and respect her and her information just can't be beat. So on TGL, Whitney and I have been best friends since we were little girls, and we think some of the best advice we've ever received is from each other. So what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Um, you know, you guys really stumped me with this one when you gave me the heads up that this might be a question. Um, I don't... the. I think that the best advice that I ever received was not a piece of advice that directly came to me from a person that I personally knew. But um, I think that that advice came from Mr. Rogers. And it is that love is an action verb more like struggle. I love that. I think Mr. about Rogers that. Is the best. <laughs> Mr. Rogers is the best. Oh my gosh. I don't know if it's the COVID or what, but I'll, I'll probably weep if I have to talk about Mr. Rogers too much. But um the whole, the whole situation feels very emotional right now, but I feel like his words just really like, I think about them almost every day that love is not just a feeling. Love is an action that I have to take. And sometimes it's going to feel more like struggling, Mm -hmm. um, than it is like, you know, easy peasy. Yeah. Oh, I will. Seriously, so that's just what we needed to end this. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your knowledge, your story. Um, where can everyone find you and stalk you in the best way possible? On Instagram, <laughs> your website, just give all the details. Okay. So they can find me and my partner, Mickey Truscott, um, at our website, autoimmunewellness.com. Um, they'll also be able to find all of our books there. Uh, Mickey and I wrote a book together called the Autoimmune Wellness Handbook that really outlines AIP and how to adopt um, that lifestyle and, and healing protocol. Um, and my book that you guys mentioned, the Alternative Autoimmune Cookbook. Um, you can also find our podcast there. And um, as far as social media, we're autoimmune wellness on Facebook, we're autoimmune paleo, which is a vestige from our beginnings on Instagram, but everybody knows that account. Um, <laughs> and my personal account is Angie.alt on Instagram so they can find me there. Awesome. Well, Angie, thank you so much for joining us. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks so much for inviting me, you guys. It's so cool to have a podcast with your best friend. <laughs> it is. It's the best.